Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. with what we're going to be covering today because I'm going to just be going to be sharing openly some of the mistakes that I've made, the lessons that I've learned along the way in order to help you on your healing journey. How's that? Save you time, save you money, save you confusion. And my goal here is to give you a deeper understanding of yourself and with that, a clear path forward. Not that the path will be easy, but that it will be clear and be able to take out some of the confusion that we've had around, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's been incredible for me to see already how much the biology of trauma has been uh, influencing and impacting people's lives around the world. We even have our certification course now. We have professionals who are finishing that up this year and are already in the advanced providers training with me, literally all over the world. And it's been incredible to see the impact even just coming off of this last Biology of Trauma Summit and seeing the messages pouring in from people on how much it has meant for them to hear this message of biology is a big piece. It's not just your thoughts. It's not just your mind. You're not just a weak person. But there's so much that we can look into for the biology piece of trauma. And so with all of that, and I'm getting to stand back and look at this worldwide movement that's happening with the biology of trauma, I am very still reminded that I am still the same woman who was very lost. And I want to take you back to 2009. And in 2009, late summer, Southern California, which means hot, you don't know that. And I'm sitting in a rocking chair with my son, Miguel. I have adopted him a few months prior. He came into my world, into my home, into my heart about seven months before that. And I've been doing a lot of work with him. I've been taking him to all of the best therapies, the best treatments. We have some of the best child psychologists, therapists, because I'm actually in medical school and just getting ready to go into my fourth and last year of medical school at Loma Linda University. And so I'm sitting there and I am looking into his eyes and I'm rocking back and forth very slowly, very gently. And we've just come in from playing outside. So he's a bit sweaty. I'm a bit warm. So it's a little uncomfortable. But we're doing this because this is what I've been told to do. And so I was not prepared for what he was going to tell me next. And as I'm looking at him, he says, Mommy. Yes, Miguel. Mommy, tomorrow I'm going to kill you. Not today. Not today, mommy. Tomorrow. My heart both stopped and sank to the ground. The discouragement that I felt, 
of what am I doing wrong? What am I, what am I missing? Like, kiddo, like I am literally doing everything I can, everything that I know to do and everything that I'm being told to do. What am I missing? What am I doing wrong? And I knew him well enough to believe him because he actually already had come at me with a knife before. And so when he told me that he was planning to kill me the next day, I knew that that is truly how he felt in that moment in his body. And as a mom, in that moment, I felt so alone. Because of course, who can I call to be like, oh my goodness, you'll never guess what my child just did. Right? Like, those aren't the types of things that you share. Those are the types of things that that you absorb and then you keep your mouth quiet because what would others think? What would others say? And even with my colleagues, it was a moment of feeling extremely alone because for them, this was textbooks. This was their, their training. And for me, it was my life. It was my home. This wasn't just, well, you know, statistics. Statistically, this many kids make it after they've been in foster care and adopted. For me, we're talking about my son here. And when I adopted him, I committed to doing everything I could to help him have some years of happiness in his childhood. And so in that moment of deep discouragement, heaviness, sadness, and very alone, internally, I said, Miguel, I'm not going to give up on you. Like, I know that's, I know that's how you feel right now. And I'm not going to give up on you. If anything, I'm going to push into this a little more and figure out what it is that I'm missing, what it is that I'm doing wrong. I'm not going to let my pride get in the way. And I am recommitting to you. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give it my all. And I'm going to share with you today what I was doing wrong. And at the time, I was doing the best that I could. I know that now. So I, I have a lot of grace for myself. And at the same time, I also know that if I had known then what I know today, it would have been a very different story for him. We had six very hard, long years for me to figure out what I'm going to share with you today. And so my hope for you is that I get to save you some of that trouble that it took me a long time to figure out. The first thing that I want to share with you is the first big lesson I had to learn. I was trying to help him process his trauma. I was, I was trying to help him process his life experiences. And even now, just as I think back on that time, hmm, feel a lot of uh, that warmth in my heart. Like I still have just such a, such a tender spot in my heart for me at that time and what I went through and then what he went through. I am his biggest fan. He, he worked so hard at, at healing. And so I was trying to help him process trauma because that's what I was being told that he needed to do. 
in order to move past something, to rise above our life experiences. We're told that we need to process trauma. What I did not know at that time, and what I want to share with you, is that there's something that we have to do before we're actually ready to process. And there's different levels of processing. And I wish that we had all the time in the world that I could go into. There's cognitive processing, there's emotional processing, and then there's actual the body processing. But we'll have to save that for another masterclass. What I want to share with you today is that there's this thing called regulation. And it has to be in place before we can safely start processing. Processing is like opening Pandora's box. You don't know what you're going to find, which is why it's scary. And we don't want to go to those places. We know that we've put things in those boxes and shoved them into corners and closets and shelves. We don't want to open that up because we've feel that we might fall apart if we open that. And that's the processing, right? Processing is opening all that up. And it's true because if we don't have this thing called regulation in place, it is possible that we might tap into something that is too much for us. So what is regulation? Regulation is your capacity to stay in the zone of feeling like it's manageable. Anytime that we are feeling like, oh, I'm going to fall apart, we are outside of regulation. We are not regulated. Anytime that we're feeling overwhelmed, we've lost our regulation. So just the other way to describe regulation is our sense that things are manageable. It doesn't mean easy. (laughs) It doesn't mean comfortable manageable. Anything that starts to feel unmanageable, we've lost regulation. And so as we start to process trauma, we can only process to the degree that we have regulation. So the more tools that you have for regulation, guess what? The more you're able to process life experiences. The less tools that you have for regulation, the less you are able to safely process trauma. And I say that word safely because we're going to go into what it might look like if we try to process before we're ready. When we do things that are overwhelming to our system, like trying to process trauma before we have regulation skills in place, we start getting sick. This is where a lot of diseases actually hang out. As I got to learn from my personal experience, it includes autoimmune conditions, chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, all inflammation, including brain inflammation. So brain fog, decision fatigue, headaches, digestive issues, IBS, constipation, gut inflammation. All of those are a result of the freeze response. And so when we process trauma without the regulation skills in place, what will often happen is that we experience an increase in those physical symptoms and conditions. That's what happened to me. I would go to therapy, have this amazing processing session. 
I would leave emotional and exhausted because we had processed so much. Oh, look at me. I'm doing so much great work. And then guess what? The next five days, I was crashed. I wasn't able to go on my walks, wasn't able to go ride my bike. My energy level was so low, I would wake up with my joints hurting. My inflammation was back in my gut. And my brain was just back into that. I'm just going through the motions, just just trying to get through my day. I'm like, this can't be right. And it's not right. Because I did not know that I needed regulation first. I didn't even know about regulation, to be honest. And so I had to figure this out because this was my journey. This was my health. It wasn't from a textbook that I learned this. This has been me experimenting and then piecing together everything. So if you are noticing that you have any of these patterns, guess what you need? Your system needs this essential sequence. It needs safety first. It needs specific tools to be able to feel safe, not for your mind to tell you that you're safe, for you to feel, have your body feel safe, for it to start to be willing to open up. If it doesn't feel safe, it's not going to open up. It may not even talk to you other than giving you pain and aches. That is one way of talking to you, right? I'd prefer a different form of communication, please. But our bodies will talk to us however it can, however we will listen. And so this is what I have pieced together. And it has been amazing for me to go from being a very conventional medical physician where I'm used to seeing patients, ordering labs, doing the histories, and then giving you your prescription and treatment plan to realizing, wait a second, there's all this stuff that's actually just as important. And I started leading people through this essential sequence. And guess what? Their health symptoms started to change. And we hadn't even done any of the medical work yet. It was fascinating to see. And that's exactly what people are experiencing right now, again, in this 21-day journey. There was one share uh, yesterday because we've now started open shares where she's for years had to take melatonin to sleep. And then now she's like, you know what? I am feeling so safe in my body now. We're only in the second week, you guys. I am feeling so safe in my body now. I thought, what if, what if I don't take my melatonin tonight? And she said, it's been days now and I haven't needed my melatonin. I was able to just stop it. Like, Stories like that still just amaze me at what the body will do when we give it what it needs. Step one, if we want to resolve, process, rewire trauma, the first step is always creating a felt sense of safety. And now what if I sat here and I told you, come on, you should feel safe. I mean, look at your life, right? You're sitting in a nice place right now. No one's hurting you right now. What's wrong with you? You should feel safe. That's different than actually feeling safe. We can tell ourselves, I have told myself, Amy, what's wrong with you? You should feel this way. And then I feel, I have felt that my body betrays me when it can't keep up with my mind, when it doesn't feel those things because the mind cannot create 
a fake feeling. The body either feels safe or the body does not feel safe. And so part of this process is actually just doing a dive into our body. Does my body feel safe? I'm not asking my mind. (laughs) I'm asking my body. If there's been a master of someone who can live in their head, I will claim that trophy. And I will fight you for it if I have to. I will not fight you for it. I have lived in my head nearly all of my life that I could remember until I started doing this work. And I would tell myself what I should feel and then would get very frustrated when I started having high autoimmune markers, when I started having chronic pain, when I started becoming overweight, when I started having anxiety and depression, got on two antidepressants. And it still didn't really help because the body has its own stories, has its own experience. And the mind cannot tell the body what it should feel, but we haven't listened to our body. So as a review of what we've covered so far, big review. We're going over the lessons that I've learned the hard way. The first lesson that I had to learn was that we actually can't jump to processing without regulating our system first and actually learning how to keep it in that place of feeling manageable. What does that mean? Oh, well, that means having a felt sense of safety. If you want to process trauma safely, and I hoped you wrote that word down, safely, if you want to process trauma safely, guess what? You actually need to start with your body and making sure that your body has a felt sense of safety first. That's the first step. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey. And you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.